elders past and present of the Kulin Nation, we recognize their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to 3ZR Tuesday Breakfast. Um, my name is Evie, and you're speaking with Carnegie and Fung and Genevieve in the other studio. Welcome, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. How's everyone feeling this morning? Pretty good. <laughs> Pretty great. <laughs> it, it, it feels kind of pointless to ask this question every week, but, you know, know. got to yeah. keep to it. You got to. <laughs> I mean, the sky looks really pretty outside, so that has definitely lifted my mood. Yeah, yeah isn't it weird to wake up and it's light? I yeah. know. <laughs> it's fully bright. Yeah. I thought, yeah, I thought for sure I'd slept in. Exactly, me too. <laughs> in instant panic. Yeah. <laughs> I have like three alarms on my watch just to make sure that I just actually get up without disturbing my partner. And yeah, just to see light outside the window, it's like, oh God, did I set it to like two hours? <laughs> <laughs> So what have we been up to this week? Um, I, I see a certain studio member is wearing a certain <laughs> scarf. <laughs> Absolutely. The highlight of my weekend was, of course, the Western Bulldogs winning. Um, it was such a good match. We absolutely smashed Port Adelaide. Oh, it was it brutal. Was, I know. And we were like, and my partner was like, every five minutes was like, I think we can I think we can call it now. And, and we were in our group chat. Everyone was like, do not call it. It's too early. And it went on and on until um, like 10 minutes. We were like, all right. I was watching the, um, the Geelong and Melbourne game beforehand. Yeah. And I was just like, how could it possibly get worse? And it kept getting worse. And Max Gorn kept on kicking yeah. all those goals. And then it happened again with you guys. I know. So. It's going to be a great grand final and I think it's quite I mean we'll get into this later probably but I think a lot of Victorians are really heartbroken because of how iconic this grand final Mm. is set to be like Melbourne who hasn't been in a grand final since the early 2000s hasn't won a grand final since the 60s and then the doggies who Mm. are just like the renowned underdogs um so yeah it's a little bit bittersweet yeah just like sort of pining for it to be here yeah I just realised that, you know, whenever the doggies win, all of these Western Bulldogs fans just emerge <laughs> from literally everywhere. Like I had no idea how many people I knew supported it's uh, the Bulldogs. It's my thing just mm. to see um, supporters emerge from the woodwork. Yes, yeah. Mm. <laughs> it's so great and so epic to see the West at the moment. Everything is red, white and blue. Oh, yeah. Footscray is great when it comes to that. Yeah. yeah. Mm. I remember um, the first year of the women's footy, um, just like going to Footscray and going to EJ Witten Oval um, just to see a game and just exploding. It was just great. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not even a Bulldog supporter. It was just so much fun. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's get to the weather. It's 15, partly cloudy. Um, Looks like it's going to be a lovely day. Um, we'll just go to a quick uh, announcement and then we'll get on to some news. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
The nuclear armed states are talking big and spending up with no intention to disarm. The Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons provides a pathway out of this mess, and it's up to us to get our government on board. Tune in to ICANN's Banned School to learn more and be part of History in the Making. It's five online sessions from June to September. Check it out and enroll at icanw.org.au forward slash band school. That's icanw.org.au forward slash band school. The international campaign to abolish nuclear weapons is a 3CR supporter. You're listening to 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. Uh, Let's go to some news this morning. Um, So this morning we've been discussing um, just with the rollout of the vaccine um, into all our communities, which is really fantastic that it's ramped up. Um, Now there seems to be some more discussion about just more uh, what it would mean to have compulsory measures for vaccines um, when we all sort of go back to normal. Um, So... In the age today, uh, Victoria is now eyeing mandatory vaccines for builders. Uh, It's incredible to me that all these industries are talking about mandatory vaccines for everyone, and yet the places in which there's the most risk, there's no guarantee. So in schools, um, there really needs to be, you know, a mandatory vaccine regime for teachers because that has been a qualification, you know, for lots of vaccines. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, I was reading the whole thing yesterday and that it was a bit I was a bit confused. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's a school in Fitzroy um that is currently the center of an outbreak um due to their principal encouraging students to come in. Unfortunately, they seem to have a rather um I wouldn't say anti-vaxxer approach, but uh, perhaps not talking about vaccines as a priority for, you know, teachers and children to come back to school. And this is going to be, like present a problem now. Mm. There's currently um, a campaign by the Vic uh, state government to get all VCE and IB year 11 or mostly year 12 students vaccinated as well as their teachers and any staff involved in the end of year examinations, obviously, because they want to try and get students back to school for their final assessments. Uh, and so I think they do have priority when it comes to booking uh, appointments online or over the phone. But yeah, so there, there does seem to be a little bit of a push there, but you're right, it definitely has to, you know, we've seen now with Delta that it doesn't discriminate and lots of younger people are getting it. So it does need to be a message that's delivered to all students yeah and staff across across not just secondary but primary as well yeah it's it's something that can be mandated and also like i i understand that there's like not as much rollout to children even in other countries yet and there has been some concern about that but as you said delta is a different sort of variant and it does seem to be affecting children so that's something of serious concern, especially if we want kids to go back to school. But that was something that really struck me with the um, principal that was talking yesterday. Uh, he, he makes the point that, you know, it's hard for kids to be isolated at home, and that's right. Mm. It, it is hard, but 
also like the way out is vaccines so it has to be treated that way um other news this week um because we've had a tradition of having cute animal news every single week, a, a really fun one that I saw was um, Wally the Walrus, who um, at a, a marina, I think in, was it in the US? Um, he, I think it was in off the coast of Ireland. Off the coast of mm. Ireland, that's right. Um, he's just started um, living in people's houseboats and just. Oh, he's amazing. <laughs> he's absolutely massive. And he just likes to climb onto people's little boats that are docked. Um, to have a rest because he he can't rest. They're like semi-aquatic and they can't rest in water. So he just climbs onto like million-dollar boats <laughs> and then he sinks them and damages them. And it's not his fault. He doesn't know. Yeah, he's just having a he's rest. He's just a big boy. He has no idea. They they built like a like sort of surrogate couch for him to sleep on. Yeah, <laughs> so sweet. And it's literally the shape of a couch. <laughs> it's got like the armrest. Just reminds me of my old corgi just sleeping on the couch. Yeah, that's what it looks like. Except it's like a ginormous walrus, and he just there's a picture of him, and he looks so content, just you know having a big rest. Oh god, that's so cute. Yeah. If anyone has any really cute animal news that they'd like to tell us about, please let us know because, like, we're going to have an animal segment every week now. I think we've just decided. Yeah. Definitely. It's good for morale. (laughs) Um, I also wanted to mention in terms of the news, probably everyone knows, it was the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks last week and obviously comes at a pretty pivotal pivotal time considering the Taliban have just taken over for um, of Afghanistan again and everyone's kind of wondering, oh, what was that 20-year occupation for? Mm. Um, anyway, there's been a little bit of an update because as very, um, I guess, significant that the 9-11 attacks were, the Taliban also on 9-11 uh, formally raised their flag over the presidential palace, uh, which pretty much signaled that their work governing the newly formed Islamic Emirate had begun. Um, And also this means that, you know, they're kind of announcing some policies that are coming through, some, I guess, laws, legislations that they're going to put in place. And one of them that I guess I'd like to flag um, that a few reports have been coming out about was uh, the Taliban have announced that women in Afghanistan will only be allowed to study at university in gender-segregated classrooms and in only Islamic dress Uh, which will be compulsory, which has obviously stoked fears that a gender apartheid will be imposed on the country under the new regime. Um, Also on the same day, Rahula Azizi, which is the brother of the former vice president and anti-Taliban resistance leader Amrullah Saleh, was also shot dead at a Taliban checkpoint. Saleh, who has declared himself the legitimate acting president of Afghanistan, and has been leading the embattled forces resisting the Taliban, um, which is also something that I feel like has been a little bit underreported is there is a resistance mm-hmm. in Afghanistan going on at the moment with, um, you know, people who are protesting and combating the Taliban. So this person actually called himself the president, um, even though the Taliban obviously uh, refused to accept that. But that's pretty huge news as well. But I also think that, like, you know, um, it kind of shows you signs of there's pushback. Afghanistan isn't kind of just like falling to their knees with mm. this. Like yeah. they don't want this and they're prepared to put up a fight for it, which I think is really incredible and um, should be more reports about. Mm. Um, yeah. Absolutely. 
Um, one final bit of news uh, today. It was announced last night that outgoing veteran Labor MP Joel Fitzgibbon is decided to retire before the next election. He's been an outspoken critic over the direction of the party since it's lost in 2019 and will quit Parliament at the next election, leaving the New South Wales coal mining seat of Hunter that has been held by his family for almost 40 years. You may know Joel Fitzgibbon as someone in the Labor Party who's very pro-coal. Um, and he warned his caucus colleagues that they needed to quote-unquote depoliticise climate change if they wanted to win office, saying it should not be the subject of constant and shrill political debate. It is a relief to have one of the primary climate change deniers leaving the Labor Party, but hopefully the Labor Party considers someone else in his place that isn't quite so strident about uh, denying climate change. All right, let's go to another announcement and then we'll play some music. Fitzroy Legal Service has launched a free information and advice phone service for people who have been stopped, questioned, fined or charged for breaching COVID-19 restrictions. Have you been fined or charged under the new laws or stopped and questioned by police for being outside? Call 0434 136 501. Weekdays between 9am and 5pm. That's 0434 136 501. Or head to fitzroy-legal.org.au for more information. You can also report incidents at covidpolicing.org.au. Fitzroy Legal Service is a 3CR supporter. You're on Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio. Uh, it's about 7.14. going to go to a track um, off an album that came out a couple of weeks ago by Cleo Soul, who I guess in herself is very mysterious and doesn't really want to give too much away. So I think the album came as a bit of a surprise, but it's titled Mother and I would highly recommend people have a listen to it. It's a really good lockdown uh, album. It's kind of made me feel optimistic and a lot better. Um, I'm going to play one of my favourite songs off the album, which is called 23. Crystal clear to me, God let me pass the 
Just playing over the top there is Cleo Soul with her new song, 23. Uh, if you want to listen to more of that album, just look up Cleo Soul. Uh, the album's called Mother. This Friday, 17th of September, a Housing for the Aged Action Group and the University of Melbourne are putting on an online event called At Risk Forum 2021. Older women facing homelessness in Australia are... Uh, from, oh, it's, it looks at older women facing homelessness in Australia from awareness to action. This forum, which takes place on Zoom, will discuss the policies needed to ensure better housing for older women. In preparation for this upcoming event, we would like to replay a discussion we had with Fiona from the Housing for the Age Action Group a couple of weeks ago. Uh, my name's Fiona and I'm the Executive Officer for Housing for the Aged Action Group. Um, we're a community organisation based in Victoria and we uh, have had a focus on housing justice for older people since the early 80s. Um, we are very committed to getting some good housing outcomes to address the growing need for older people who are facing homelessness. Um, and we also run the service which is called Home at Last, which houses around 150 older people a year in long-term, um, mainly public housing. So we've been around for a long time um, and we're trying to basically change the system as well as changing individual people's lives. Thanks for that, Fiona. So the statistic that I mentioned earlier, 405,000 women um, mm. age 45 and over being at risk of homelessness is quite startling. Yeah. What is it that puts older people and specifically women at risk of homelessness? Yeah, so last year, ourselves and the University of Adelaide released this report that looked at a whole range of risk factors for older women, um, and they're things like um, having part-time work throughout their lives, so low levels of superannuation, um, living in expensive private rental, um, living alone. Um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders are obviously more at risk for a range of reasons. Um, people have experienced elder abuse or family violence. So it's a whole lot of different risk factors that place women um, in housing insecurity as they get older. And often we have women coming to us who are in their late 50s, early 60s, who have worked part-time or even full-time, um, saved a little bit of money and then all of a sudden find themselves living in private rental, having lost their job and really, really struggling. Um, the size of the problem is really hidden because older women don't necessarily front up at services. They, they do a lot of things to try and get by before, um, I guess, reaching out for help. So... There's people living um, with friends and family or sleeping on couches or doing all sorts of things. Um, there's a lot of people in Airbnbs and house sitting and pet sitting up until the pandemic. So this problem is really hidden and we think it's growing. Um, and yeah, that's why we're holding this forum. Speaking of it being quite a hidden issue, um, I guess it is you know, quite at odds with, with um, that popular... I guess, narrative of older people mm. being um, quite homeowners. secure. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. homeowners, you're right. Um, so this really challenges that stereotype. 
Yeah, and I think that is the stereotype, that baby boomers have these big old houses and, and they're taking up all the space and they've got all the property. But actually, um, it's a lot more to do with a lifetime of kind of disadvantage and poverty for a lot of people. And so there's a whole cohort of older people who have been low-paid jobs um, with caring responsibilities and, and just haven't managed to enter the property market. And they're really, really disadvantaged. So you just can't survive um, on the pension um, in the private rental market mm -hmm. and the housing quality as well is really, really poor in that lower end of the rental market. So if you have some sort of, um, you know, you go to hospital and you have some sort of accident and you can't be discharged from hospital because your private rental has a crappy bath, mm -hmm. what are you going to do? You're going to end up in residential care prematurely or um, just nowhere to go. So, yeah, I think it's a lot about um, poverty and class more than age yeah. <laughs> and, and people don't really want to think about things like that anymore but it really is um it all comes to a head for a lot of older women definitely and you did list you know quite a few risk factors there and of course we see with a lot of people that it's not just one that they have mm. you know it's it's multiple and it and it accumulates over time so yeah um, it yeah it really is quite um challenging to to navigate the system um where are we policy-wise? Have there been any changes made to support older women at risk of homelessness? Well, that's one of the reasons we want to hold this forum is because we know that awareness is being raised about the issue. You're seeing it on the 7.30 report and, and you know, in the various papers um, and people are talking about older women being at risk of homelessness, but we're not actually seeing any policy outcomes. We're not seeing any change. So last year we held a forum. Um, there was about over 500 people registered for that and about 350 people across the country um, logged on to our online forum and really clearly wanted action. There was lots and lots of chat going on and lots and lots of desire to kind of connect and make a difference. So this is our follow-up to that and, and we're hoping that we can move from just raising awareness and into actual policy change um, and and have some and have some real immediate outcomes for not just not just women now but women into the future the next twenty years or so. Definitely, because we are going to see, uh, I guess, the effects of COVID mm -hmm. um, not just in the next couple of years, but but ongoing. Um, yeah. So so this. Online forum is going to take place online on the 17th of September. Yeah. Um, could you tell us a bit more about it, the different breakout sessions um, and any keynote speakers? Yeah, so we were pretty keen to listen to what people that attended the last forum wanted to do, wanted, what topics they wanted us to cover. So we've got three um, breakout sessions. Um, we've got the political panel, because obviously politicians, they're the decision makers that have got a lot of influence in this area. So we have um, on the political panel, we've got um, Tanya Plibersek from the Labor Party and Larissa Waters from the Greens and Zali Stegel, who's an independent. And then we also have Penny Lemus, who's an older woman that's got lived experience of homelessness. So hopefully we'll hear some um, ideas of what the parties are bringing to that. And the the whole forum will be opened by um, the Minister for um, Superannuation and Financial Services, which her name's Senator Jane Hume. So that's the political part of it. But as well as the politics, we're going to have a session on older women and housing and domestic violence, which will be convened by Jess Hill. And we have another one on solutions. So we often hear about 
what we can do about it. There's lots of talk of different types of things like tiny houses and, and the rest of it. So we'll have, um, have a whole heap of people there talking about some of their solutions, including people from the Brisbane Housing Company. Um, there's the Northern Rivers Community Gateway and we've got the, the chair of the Aboriginal Housing um, Community Housing Limited as well. And then the last panel is about action. So we've, we've chosen some people that have had really good campaign outcomes for their different issues and they're going to come and talk about what they think works in terms of making a difference and influencing decision makers. Yeah, um, it, it sounds like your this this online forum is really trying to target all the different areas um, and have everything from, like you said, political discussion to um, local solutions and then mm. action. Um, it sounds like you're trying to cover a lot, which is great. Um, yeah. Uh, and I can already see, you know, clicking on the, the website that there's already, you know, some online discussion happening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so where can people go if they want to share their thoughts or ask questions? So they can. that's the really good thing about this as well. We've actually created an online platform where people can share ideas and connect with each other. Mm. So no matter where you live, if you've got access to the internet, which I know is a barrier for a lot of people, but if you do, then you can jump online and ask questions of the panel members or make your comments or share resources or share ideas about what works and doesn't work. Um, so you can get onto our website, which is older tenants org.au and look for the events page and then from there you can go register and check it out it's going to be good great um, and we can put that link in our show notes later this morning as well um, I guess for you Fiona what um, what outcomes uh, would you like to see from um, I guess policy changes in the next few years what what would be an ideal um, an ideal yeah, world yeah yeah I think we need to have immediate investment in public housing um, and it needs to be a lot more than what we're seeing. So although some of the governments across Australia are making some investments, there really needs to be rapid, rapid um, building of public housing to address the current and the future need. And in Victoria, we're lucky to have... Um, there's particular public housing that's targeted for older people, so 55-plus housing. Yeah. Um, so that would be great if that could be rolled out across the whole country. Um, and also we have here in Victoria eligibility criteria, so if you're over 55, you automatically get prioritised, and that's not the case in other states. It's 80 in New South Wales. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so we'd like to see that happen across Australia, but also more public housing and more low-cost retirement housing for people who maybe have a little bit of savings but not enough to buy anywhere. Definitely. Um, and lastly, there are obviously these are all structural systemic changes that need to take place, but mm. is there anything that we can do, our listeners can do, to support um, older people um, in, in this situation? I think it's really good for people to be aware of their own internalised ageism, I guess. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so, so every time you sort of have that instinct of thinking that baby boomers are taking up all the space, or that there's a whole lot of you know um, older people that have got a lot of advantage compared to younger people, just don't go there. <laughs> like it's it's really it's quite hard to interrogate your own assumptions about growing older, and older people have just as much value um, and mu as much to contribute as anyone. So, I think 
just on a personal level, that's what people can do. And then politically, of course, jump online and sign all the petitions and tweet all the pollies and do everything you can and yeah. bring housing as much as you can to the forefront because housing is fundamental to all of our health and wellbeing. Definitely. And I think, like you said earlier, you know, it's it's about class, it's about um, about race, it's about gender, it's it's intersectional. So right. um, it's very easy for, for people to um, stereotype, um, you know, baby boomers, older people yeah. into being, you know, wealthy homeowners, but that's not the case for, right. for a lot yeah. of our population. Well, thank you so much, Fiona, for joining us this morning. We'll pop the link to the event in our show notes. Um, but please, everyone, if you can, um, attend the At Risk 2021 online forum on September the 17th. Thank you so much, Fiona. Thank you for having me. So that was a discussion that I had with Fiona a couple of weeks ago about the risk of homelessness among uh, older women in Australia. To register for the at-risk forum, please go to www.oldertenants.org.au and click on upcoming events, or you can check our show notes later this morning for the link. This event is due to take place on Zoom this Friday from 10.30am to 1pm. Housing for the Age Action Group also has a show on 3CR called Raise the Roof, and you can catch this show every second and fourth Wednesday of the month from 5.30 to 6pm on 3CR. I'm bisexual. It's time to stand by us. Following the success of our free inaugural event last year, BiPlus Collective Australia proudly presents the second Stand By Us Forum to celebrate BiPlus Visibility Day. All events are free and all bar one happen online. Starting with the opening First Nations keynote on the morning of Thursday 23rd September, Celebrate Bisexuality Day, there will be fun events like a BiPlus Games Meetup, artsy bi events including the biconic performances and panel discussions on themes such as queering relationships for those who are bi and polyamorous. To check out the program, including the Safe Space Guidelines, visit our webpage standbyus.com. That's S-T-A-N-D-B-I-U-S dot com. It's time to stand by us. A 3CR supporter. You're listening to 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. Uh, so next up on the show, we have Gemma Caffarella. Gemma is a barrister who grew up in Footscray and has strong ties to the local community. Um, she recently helped organize uh, the campaign to save Footscray Park from being turned into a privately owned soccer academy. Uh, welcome to the show, Gemma. Thanks so much for having me, Carnegie. So um, we'll start off by if you could just maybe give us a little bit um, of an introduction to who you are and your background, that would be amazing. Yeah, so um, I mean, first and foremost, I'm a Westie. I you know, have always lived in the Western suburbs and I still live in the Western suburbs and I love this place more than I can really say. Uh, and so, yeah, it's a really exciting time to be in the West, of course, at the moment. Absolutely. And so you've grown up there. Um, your family is also from there? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, my parents weren't always from here, obviously. And, you know, I think it's also important to, of course, acknowledge that we are settlers on unceded Aboriginal land. 
Um, but yeah, my family have lived here my whole life, and, and my um, my folks run the local fruit shop in Seddon as well. So um, yeah, we're you know big. Uh, you know we love this local community, and uh, it's a huge part of our lives as well. So yeah, I, I really am very passionate about the western suburbs and and its people. Uh, and yeah, I think it's a really wonderful and unique unique place that I feel really privileged uh, to live in. Absolutely. And I think that the West, I've lived there myself for, I think, about five years now, and it has a very distinct, unique sense of community that I haven't experienced um, in other parts of Melbourne or even really Australia. Um, why do you think that is? Why do you think Footscray has its such a strong sense of identity? Look, I have my own theories. Um, I think it's because a lot of people in in Footscray have traditionally suffered a lot of adversity. Um, So traditionally it's been the home to the working class and the poor and a whole bunch of, um, you know, with every new wave of migration as I was growing up, there would be a new, um, you know, and I shouldn't just say migration, it was a wave of different humanitarian crisis and then there would be a different um, wave of migration and a lot of those people would come and settle in Footscray. So it's got a really rich history of being a place where people have made a community where they might not otherwise have been welcome in different parts of, of Melbourne. And I think there's something in that, um, in the fact that people people actually kind of need each other. You know, they're not people who are traditionally supported by the government um they're not people with ties to you know to to the rich and powerful and so i think there's something in that in the way that it creates um a really uh, i think tightly woven community and i absolutely agree kind of it's one of my favorite things about about footscray people know each other and care each other care about each other and look out for each other and yeah i just think it's one of the most wonderful places you could possibly live it sure is. Um, and how, so of course, this weekend was the incredible um, game between the Western Bulldogs and Port Adelaide, and we absolutely smashed Port Adelaide, which was amazing. Um, how does the Western Bulldogs being in the grand final, like what does that mean to the community? I feel like it has a very, um, it has a different space and place that it takes up in the Western suburbs community as opposed to anywhere else. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to oversimplify it because you know there is some there is some nuance to what we're talking about, right? We're we're talking about about a bunch of rich white cis men for the most part who um, get paid a whole lot of money to run around a football field, of um, course. you know, in a competition that I think it's got to be said is really um, like exclusive, doesn't really welcome people who are different and outspoken. You know, we need to look at you know the Adam Goods kind of stuff to see what happens if you stick your head above the fray. So I want to acknowledge that to start. But the the local football team here, the Western Bulldogs, hold a really important place in this community. And I think it's perhaps because their kind of history is quite similar to the history of the area. You know, they have been in this really traditionally poor and working class area and they have been uh, incredibly unsuccessful, it's got to be said. Um, so we, of course, won the premiership in 2016 and the, the time that we'd won it before that was in 1954. And leading into 2016, it was the only time we'd ever won 
a premiership. So we were um, remarkably unsuccessful uh, and it's probably in part because we were from such a working class area. The facilities are substandard, you know, the people can't really afford to um, be members of the club so there's been low membership rates but, you know, the, the club has I think been a really big supporter of the local community so I've seen some conversations on Twitter that really resonate with me that, you know, when I was a kid, the, the local footy players would turn up at my local public high school um, and come and do footy drills with us, um, you know, and they've run really great multicultural community programs. Um, you know, I think they've been involved in health kind of promotion activities in the local community. And I don't know, I don't know how they've done it, but people feel really tied uh, to the club in this area and it's just it's an absolute delight that when things when we get when we get to this pointy end of the season uh, the local community goes absolutely nuts (laughs) for the Bulldogs there is red white and blue everywhere I just had the most delightful morning the morning after we won the preliminary final and knew that we were in the grand final you know like we're in lockdown and it's been a curfew no one could you know hit the streets and celebrate the night before and um, I had to get up early and, and take my partner to to a medical appointment, and then we went for a drive around, and I insisted on sticking the, the scarves out the window of the car. Um, and it was just so like it was just so delightful because like every second person that I saw out on the street was wearing some form of bulldog paraphernalia, <laughs> and <laughs> you know it was just this kind of low key but very obvious. Um, celebration and you know all these people who really just adore the Western Bulldogs were out in their colours and yeah it's going to be a really I think a really fun fortnight to see you know how the West celebrates I've seen a few um, a few front fences change colour a lot of uh, houses are now decorated in streamers and scarves and all things red white and blue uh, and I went a bit mad last week and painted the um, the roller door of my parents' fruit shop red, white, and blue. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, we're we're up and about here in the west. Absolutely, and yeah, you all you need to do is go for a little walk, um, the one hour quarantine walk, and you'll be surrounded by red, white, and blue people in scarves. People have painted the entire houses. Um, it's amazing. Yeah. It's a little bit of a shame that it's happening in lockdown. Um, I remember in 2016, Footscray exploded um, with joy when the Bulldogs won the grand final. So it will be interesting to see how that plays out this year. Um, But super exciting nonetheless. Um, So thank you so, so much for joining us this morning. Gemma, this is all we have time for today. Um, But we really appreciate that you could join us and give us a little bit of a snapshot of what it's like to live in the West and um, what the Bulldogs mean to the Western community. Thanks so much for having me. And, of course, go dogs! Yeah, go doggies! (laughs) That was so great. (laughs) So Yeah, that was Gemma Caffarella, um, who is a barrister living in Melbourne's West and clearly a huge fan of the Bulldogs and um, everything western suburbs (laughs) that was just wonderful i love hearing the passion just leading up to the grand final especially as like as someone of like a extreme underdog team as myself it's just wonderful to hear uh we'll have a quick announcement and then we'll be right back
If you or someone you care for is struggling with a mental illness or other disability and you need someone to talk to, you can call the Wellways Helpline. Wellways Helpline is a volunteer support and referral service that provides information to people experiencing mental health issues or other disabilities, as well as their family, friends and carers. We're here to talk if you are feeling socially isolated, seeking information about mental health or mental health services, or just need someone to talk to. As a peer-based service, everyone working at Wellways Helpline has a lived experience of mental health issues or disability. Wellways Helpline is a national service and operates Monday to Friday, 9am to 9pm, excluding public holidays. So if you're struggling yourself or are struggling to help someone else, please call Wellways Helpline on 1300 500. That's 1300 500. Wellways supports 3CR. Luciano and Georgia Keats, supported by the Australian Queer Archive, present Queer Ways, retracing Melbourne's queer footprint. Queer Ways is a community art project that maps the queer history of Melbourne, combining our community's stories and voices, past and present, into a permanent, interactive record of being queer in Melbourne. Visit www.queerways.melbourne now to record your story in queer history and explore our city's untold history. Queer Ways, a 3CR supporter. You're on Tuesday Breakfast, 3CR Community Radio, and what a better way to follow up that great interview about Footscray with another Footscray local, Pookie. Uh, Pookie is an incredible musician, um, uh, also Footscray local, um, who actually had a debut EP that came out last year. Um, or at the start of this year, which is absolutely incredible. I'd highly recommend people go listen to it. Um, but this is one of her debut hits. Um, and if you haven't heard it by now, then I don't know what you've been doing, but it's called Tuesday. Oh, oh, I think it's Tuesday. It might be Wednesday. See, I don't know. It's a blur. Call me Lieutenant, these cats be cadets. 
got a taste like crimson. Oh, Pookie finna cause extinction. Pookie finna put a little stutter in your diction. Pookie finna turn your reality to fiction. Got my wings trying to flutter through the west. Trek from Brookfield to the inner west. Take these wings, man, let the digger rest. Foot spray local, skin like cocoa. How great must you be to get a minority list? Stack right for get you at the audience. That's right, bitch, you in the audience. What you think you finna do from the heart? Never had the key using two visions. Never caught a lick, but they think they fishing. Get like me, know some of them wishing. Get like me, you can't get like me, cause I'm with the GT. And I'm with the bang bang. No new friends, I don't wanna hang hang. I wanna see my energy for the gang gang. Looking through my max as I let it ring ring. Y'all be disturbing the, the gang gang. Wonder how I do it, it ain't a thing bang. I ride solo, thirsty solo, fade by solo. Foot's gray local, how gray local. Thing resigned in the west side, call me bubble. Now I only know to say it with a chest. Only got the time to roll with the best. Never got the time to roll with the vex. Ain't even a crime to be rolling correct. Mother lovers act like the gold is a dread. Wait, what was that? I forgot what I said. Mother lovers act like the gold is a That was Pookie with Tuesday. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast. So Alex, who is the program organiser for the Community Union Defence League and member of the Australian Communist Party, now joins us to give us an update on how the organisation has been supporting the community during this current lockdown. And as well as that, uh, recent events where Victoria Police and the Melbourne City Council have tried to shut down the kitchen at the State Library. Um, Welcome to Tuesday Breakfast, Alex. Thank you, thank you for having me. Much appreciated. <laughs> no worries at all. Uh, could you please start by telling us a bit about the Community Union Defence League and the work that you do? Yeah, well, I guess um, to understand the Community Union Defence League, we've sort of got to understand the idea of mutual aid because we're not just a charity, you know. Like, we put, we try to put the mutual in mutual aid. The whole idea is that it's the community as acting as the community, standing up for the community, you know? Yeah. And... Um, so far, we've been doing the uh, street kitchens, uh, both in Dandong and at the State Library, of course, uh, helping out some people with um, cleaning up their properties to make sure landlords don't come after them and all that sort of thing, you know. Yeah. So, unfortunately, it's been the case that COVID lockdown has hampered our ability to do some things, but we've been keeping on trucking with what we've been doing. Yeah, so what has it been like for you during this latest lockdown? Um... I guess the latest lockdown has been like most of them before. It's just been a case of trying to make sure that all the regulations are followed or getting them out of the, like enough people to come to the kitchen and balancing how many people are even able to come to the kitchen because one day it might be that, oh, we can't have X amount of people out or some person just got um, uh, needs to be tested, someone needs a mm-hmm. vaccine. And so it's a lot of uh, last-minute juggling, I guess, but... Um, given the fact that we've been, how do I put it, strengthened by the last couple of lockdowns, it's not as bad, this recent one, I don't reckon. That, well, that's good to hear. Um, now, I do understand that recently Victoria Police and the Melbourne City Council have tried to shut down the kitchen services at the State Library. Could you tell us more about this? Um, in a more, like, general sense, it's it's sort of been like this for a while. Because, of course, the whole point of our programs is to prove that, oh, yeah, well, the brutality of the capitalist system, it, it doesn't need to be this way. Like, a person, what, two days' wages can feed hundreds? And for a city council with the highest um, rate of homelessness in Victoria, it doesn't really look that good to have an organisation like us providing what 
well, really, the government cannot. Yeah, definitely. And so there's always been that antagonism there, you know? Yeah. So, you know, what have you, as the organisation, that what have you, um, uh, how have you responded to, to this? Are you able to keep operating? Well, I think the thing that we're going for is that they don't like us. Mm. Okay, whatever. We'll keep operating regardless. What's their, like, it's public space. It's the public acting as the public for the public. What right, like, what authority do they have to then say, no, you can't use this public space, you can't help other people? If they want to boot us out or try to boot us out, well, we're going to stand staunch. We're not going to budge. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, you said earlier that um, here in Nam you've got kitchens running in both Dandenong and uh, near the State Library. Um, how else can people reach you and access support and services from, from the organisation? Well, the main one would probably have to be reaching out through the Facebook page that we've got. Yeah. Um, don't, I can't remember the details because yeah, I'm on the phone and uh, I could access them a bit uh, if, I just, if you give me a moment. But yeah, um, the Community Union Defence League Melbourne Facebook page is probably the go-to place. Or of course, people can come down either to Daniel at Saturdays or the State Library at Sundays, 3 o'clock to 6 o'clock, both. Yeah, amazing. And what has the um, response been from, from the community in terms of, you know, being able to um, be fed and, you know, have have you guys help them out in, in so many different ways during this lockdown? Yeah, in general, the response has been overwhelmingly supportive, especially when the coppers kind um like come down to try and start stuff or, yeah, that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, like on Facebook, there's been loads of support for Cuddle Across the country, actually, because I remember recently there was some trouble that the Adelaide, I think, Street Kitchen was having mm-hmm. in regards to the city council and police. Eerily similar situation to us, actually. And, yeah, just overwhelmingly positive. Um, I guess I just wanted to ask, um, maybe you might not know the answer to this question, but I guess what under under what grounds are kind of the police infiltrating um, the kitchen? Is it just to do with like, you know, they think that you're, um, I guess, uh, breaking COVID rules or have they given you any sort of like reason or? The interesting thing is, is that each time they come down, it could be this, that or the other. The reasons mm-hmm. change yeah. with... You know, it, but it seems almost as if they feel like it. Like one day, oh, you can't have that of the tables set up here. The next day, oh, X person is breaking COVID rules when we've got all the COVID stuff sorted. And, you know, it just honestly just seems like they just want us gone. For sure, yeah. I think it's, I mean, it's super ironic because, you know, and rightfully so, a lot of uh, businesses, you know, can operate with takeaway and people line up and, you know, there's wards of people, um, you know, going and getting takeaway food and it's kind of like, you know, what's the difference? (laughs) Yeah, I'd have to say in regards to that, that being where we are, situated where we are, you know, outside the state library, outside Melbourne Central Station, <laughs> like the, oh yeah, the Centre for Consumerism in Melbourne, basically. Sure. And then having us, like, set up there, having all these homelessness people, like, homeless people, people from the community who have been impacted by all the different stuff that's been going on, it brings to light the ugly underbelly of, well, Australia, I guess, mm. and the City Council who, oh yeah, we want our property prices to go up and up so people can't afford nothing. I just don't like it. Yeah. And it's not, again, not a really good look. That's such a great point. For good reason. Yeah. 
Um, and so how can the wider community support um, support you guys? Like, can we donate money or items or services? What's the best way for us to um, help? Yeah, um, one of the main ways to help would, of course, be uh, joining up, signing up to the roster, cooking, driving, coming down mm-hmm. to volunteer. Another way people can help, of course, is donating to the website, which can be reached through the Facebook, or I believe I've got it here. Um, yeah, www.cuddle.org.au slash donations. Perfect. Thank you so much. And we'll add that link to our show notes later this morning. I did have a brief look at it and, um, you know, uh, Cuddle does set out a list of items that, that are needed by com- um, by the community. Um, I think there are things like that range from you know, like sanitary items to, to other things that people need. So um, I guess people listening can, can go on the website and, and yeah, see what, what is needed by community members out there. Um, just quickly, you mentioned, uh, you know, the Vic, uh, sorry, the police and, and the city council interfering um, with service in Adelaide. Where else is Cuddle based in, in this country? Um. Let me think. I believe that we had, or at least at some point, we had some presence down in Tasmania. Mm-hmm. Of course, we have the uh, base, I guess, of Cuddle nationally in Sydney. Yeah. And, yeah, like, uh, it's our goal to open up, uh, expand our programs across the country. So if anyone's listening in from another part of the country <laughs> somehow, I'd say, you know what, if you want to uh, help us out with this, come contact us. We're always open to, well, serving the people more, I guess. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, even if you don't live in another city but you have networked or you know people who who want to start um, um, some sort of mutual aid program or organisation, then, yeah, definitely get in touch with, with uh, Cuddle um here in in um well thank you so much alex for for speaking us today i hope that you know the police and the city council leave you alone so that you can continue um serving the public and and being such a great support to them so thanks for joining us today thank you very much so that was um alex from the community union defense league Um, speaking to us just now about the organisation's ongoing commitment to providing food and other services um, to the community during this lockdown. If you'd like to support Cuddle, um, we will pop their their link tree into our show notes later this morning and and there you can find... um, yeah, links to, to various websites such as their Facebook and their general website and places where you can donate and help. I'm looking forward to not worrying that my patients are going to die of COVID. To no one else being separated from their mum in aged care. I'm looking forward to our wedding and having our family and friends from overseas here with us. I really want my mum. I'm looking forward to being able to welcome guests without a mask on to having all the sports back to normal so that my family members can come and watch me play. I look forward to performing in front of a big crowd again. So please, get vaccinated. Please get vaccinated. Please get vaccinated. Let's get back to the good things. I ask you to get vaccinated. For all of us. Please get vaccinated. A message from Victoria's community sector. 
Earth Greetings have been making sustainable beautiful since 2003. Their 100% recycled cards, plastic-free stationery and earth-friendly gifts are made in Australia with the lightest possible planetary footprint. Shop online at earthgreetings.com.au or at one of over 500 stockists Australia-wide. Earth Greetings is a 3CR supporter. You're on 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. Uh, we're going to go to a track now. And um, very excitingly, Little Sim's new album came out a couple of weeks ago. I think great timing as well, um, us all in lockdown. And I'm going to play, I guess, the hit song of that album, um, which is called Point and Kill. And it features a Nigerian artist uh, called Abong Jaya who's incredible, makes incredible music as well, who I'd highly recommend to check out. But this is Point and Kill by Little Sims. Uh, I do what I want, I do what I like, and no one face, I no fear, nobody, nobody. I do what I want, I do what I like, and no one face, I no fear. Stop me, oh, you can't stop me, oh, you can't stop me, one thank you. 
can't stop me. That was, sorry, <laughs> you want to hear it again? No. <laughs> um, that was Little Sims with uh, Point and Kill. I'd highly recommend go listen to her new album. Little Sims is an incredible storyteller, uh, an incredible lyricist, and I think she works really well um, in lockdown, obviously, because she's pumped out like three albums in the last like year or something. Um, and I think is actually not given enough credit um, as much as her male UK uh, rapper counterparts so go and have a listen yeah there's so many great artists women who have put out great music in the in the last few months and if you are a fan of little sims please check out her npr tiny desk concert because they mm. perform that song and it is so good live um yeah just amazing well, uh, now we would like to revisit an interview that Alice from Wednesday Breakfast had with Diana Sayed, CEO of the Australian Muslim Women's Centre for Human Rights. Diana spoke with Alice about the Afghan diaspora following the devastating takeover of the Taliban in Afghanistan and the outlook for women, which is, yeah, obviously um, very relevant still and um, follows on from, from what Genevieve was telling us about earlier during the news headlines. Deanna, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me, Alice. Yeah, no worries. And watching these events happen in Afghanistan, as an Afghan yourself, so far away must be incredibly painful. Um, and I just wonder how how is the diaspora community right now? Look, I can't speak on behalf of everyone and obviously the experiences of varied across the board but I think you know it's pretty um it's pretty heartbreaking and um we're all just reeling from it and sort of watching on in disbelief Mm -hmm. that things have happened at such a rapid pace we're all just watching with bated breath about what could happen what's going to happen you know, frantically reaching out to friends and family, wanting to make sure people are okay, that they have their immediate needs met, um, what the danger is exactly, how we can support and help. I think that's the the hardest thing for us is just feeling so far away, so helpless and just really overwhelmed and, and kind of numb as well. Mm. And what are some of those immediate needs that need to be met with people right now on the ground in Afghanistan? Yeah, look, we're, it's sort of multifaceted. Um, you know, people just don't know what to necessarily expect. Um, you know, the, the sort of representations that are being made by the, um, the Taliban and the spokesperson and then... Um, you know what, what what that would actually allay fears on the ground. Are people actually like what's the day to day? Are people allowed to go to work? Are people allowed to resume normal normal life? Just mm. because the bakeries have reopened in Kabul, does that mean that like what what are those like basic necessities? Are the banks reopening? The airport still, you know, um, closed. There's still a lot of things, but the immediate issues are those people who have been internally displaced, who have fled the provinces for safety in Kabul, still aren't being housed. Humanitarian needs are 
beyond words right now. People don't have basic needs. Uh, and, and how do we actually get to them, get those needs to them with borders closing, you know, trade routes sort of have slowed down incredibly, you know, those sorts of things. Like I just can't even fathom and I don't know even the extent of what people's needs are yet because it was just slowly getting information trickle, trickling out. And I just saw this morning that Taliban leaders have urged people to trust them they have said they've come out and said lots of different things but what I mean what does this mean for for women and girls and 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 what do people on the ground I mean do people trust them at all yeah look you know if we talk about trust in and of itself as a concept it it's something that um you know, needs to be earned. It's a it's an illusory notion, um, and all we have right now is to base it on what has been shown to date. And it's like there there is no indicators that this Taliban is any different to what was um, in place during the nineties. If anything, people are just stating that it's a Taliban two point that it's come back with more support more backing from international um, sort of neighbours, more um, technology at their at their disposal. They've come back with a social media um, communications spokesperson. Um, you know, it's like, the, what is it, the wolf in sheep's clothing. Yeah. It's, I just don't, no, none of us in the diaspora, and I, I, you know, I can't speak on behalf of everyone in Afghanistan right now, but I don't trust that they have changed. Already, you know, what we've seen about representations that were made in Doha during so-called peace talks in and of itself, if people really felt that the Taliban had changed, that they were different and were going to come back and actually put in place a government with broad-based appeal where people felt that their rights were going to be enshrined, do you honestly think that the president himself would have fled under those conditions. That the, the horrendous sort of footage that we were seeing of people with the desperation in the air to get on mm. those last flights out of Kabul would have been would have been happening. We have to really sort of break it down to like the fear that people are experiencing. Would that level of fear really be? there if they trusted the representations being made by the Taliban, that they were actually going to come in and be a rights-based, somehow, you know, legitimate um, governing power. And I don't think so, frankly. Hey, Deanna, Ella here. Um, As you and Alice were saying, yeah, no one's really buying these claims from the Taliban that they've changed Mm. in the past 20 years. Um, and they haven't been in rule for 20 years, but there are a lot of regions in Afghanistan that have been under Taliban rule for much longer and give us a more recent example. Um, what can these regions tell us about life under Taliban rule? Yeah, so it's it's a complicated um, sentiment, you know, in terms of um, talking through sort of the regional provinces and then Kabul, which is, you know, the government that was very much um, propped up and backed by the US and allied coalition forces, you know, it's, it's, I think it's really um, important, and thank you for your question, Ola, to, um, to understand that 
as an Afghan, the diaspora community, we can hold a multifaceted amount of feelings in the same way that we don't necessarily want to um, sort of feed into these narratives that are going around, um, you know, around like, well, it was a Western intervention and now the Taliban who are Afghans are, are in power, um, you know, and they've built um, grassroots support from Afghans that gives them legitimacy. The thing is, is that, you know, we can hold the fact that, you know, we didn't want Western intervention in one sentiment with the fact that we don't want an, a, a regime like the Taliban who have actively shown that they target minority groups, that they will curtail rights and basic freedoms for women, children and others. Um, in the in the regional centres, it was not so much um, Taliban. It was, it's a very tribal system. Um, there's, there's a lot of... Um, they call them warlords. Um, I'm just always hesitant to use these, this framing that... Um, sort of Western media likes to put on. Afghanistan's always been sort of a very tribal country, but quite secular, um, very progressive back in the... If you look at the history, 50s, 60s, 70s, um, so it, it's a little bit difficult to, 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 to that question in and of itself. Um, but for the most part, um, the, the government itself was... was was controlling the country from Kabul, essentially. So, um, and I never lived under Taliban rule, so I can't really speak on those who who have. Mm. And can you give us a, a light, just sort of shine a light on what the future might look like for women and girls? We can only go on precedence, right? Um, and we'll be watching mm -hmm. and waiting to see what happens. I'm always a bit reticent um, in these early days to sort of have any hope of, of there being um, significant shift or change. The international community is still there. People are still watching right now. What I worry about is when the media attention shifts again, when Afghanistan and the people get forgotten, when, God forbid, another you know situation happens. They love to report on the hardships and the um, sort of, you know, the trauma of Afghans. And we're always talked about through that lens. Mm -hmm. So I do worry about so many minority groups um, in Afghanistan right now, particularly women, though, absolutely. I worry about their ability to work. I worry about their ability to leave their house without a mahram, which is a male guardian. I worry about, um, you know, young women um, in, being forced into marriages against their will and consent. I worry about um, so many things. I mean, I could spend the whole, whole hour just talking about all the minority groups that I worry about that are at risk. But women in and of themselves um, are a huge, are hugely at risk. And what should the government in Australia be doing right now? And why does Australia need to step up to the plate and do good by Afghans? Yeah, so there is um, a lot, actually. And for all the listeners um, of your show, I think it's important to sort of understand the role and the responsibility. So, and not to get um, caught up in, you know, well, why should we accept refugees and all of these narratives that have been built up over decades of dehumanising language, the militarisation of our sort of national security and that rhetoric that the government loves to sort of spin. 
the public, the, what's happening right now is that we were involved in over two decades of um, intervention as part of the US-led coalition forces in Afghanistan. What that means is that, you know, we were there on the ground, we were there um, very actively involved. What has come to light since um, November 2020 was that there was the Brereton Report. If people recall, I know people have very short memories yeah. <laughs> during COVID. We're all going through so much and our collective traumas aren't to be sort of dismissed either. But there were allegations very damning in the Brereton Report and that was the redacted version mm-hmm. that we were able to access. And no one to date has been held account from the Australian Defence Forces for those allegations of war crimes in Afghanistan. Second to that, we owe the Australian, the Afghans, um, because we also were there, we were engaged with with them, they supported the Allied Forces. Um, And right now, it is about humanity, a moral predicament to support and give a once-off humanitarian intake of 20,000 people, of Afghans, those most at risk, We've done it before. We did it with the Syrians. We've done it with the Kosovars, the East Timorese, the Vietnamese before them. We have precedence in this country of doing the right thing when history is, is, requires it. So at the moment, we are calling for that 20,000 intake under the humanitarian um, sort of visa track. And that is in addition to our humanitarian intake that we have already. Um, and that, that's a once-off. Um, and for those to be expedited and there to be a, a process um, around, you know, sort of getting that assistance out immediately. Mm-hmm. Second to that, we really need to um, make sure that there's a there's a um, group of Afghans here in Australia right now who have been languishing and living in limbo over the last seven or eight years um, on temporary protection visas. They need to be granted permanent protection and have a pathway to permanent residency immediately. These people are in our communities right now and they, you know, saying that they are, you know, won't be returned or they don't have to worry about going back to Afghanistan for the immediate future, that's not good enough. Mm. They need they need to have certainty about their future. Um, and beyond that, you know, there's a lot of other calls um, around family reunification, people who have been, they have been processed. They just haven't come to Australia. We're talking about partners, children of people here in Australia um, and other family members. They need to have their visas expedited. They've already been processed. And then the resettlement of refugees who are currently in Indonesia who have also are awaiting arrival here in Australia, they also need to be given given priority. So there's a lot there and yeah. the pressure is mounting. People from broad-based communities all throughout Australia have been watching this footage unfolding and everyone is collectively just absolutely in shock and heartbroken. Mm-hmm. And... Um, we are coming up to to rounding off this segment, but I just think it's really important to give people at home um, just some guidance on on what they can do, and and that they aren't they aren't necessarily hopeless or helpless in this. And and if you're sitting in Melbourne now listening to this and you want to do something, what might be a good step to try and um, to to encourage good to come out of this situation? Yes, I would encourage everyone to be following Afghans 
right now. So people in the Afghan community in the diaspora, the, Victoria has the largest amount of Afghans in Australia. Mm. We are living amongst you. We are journalists and lawyers and doctors and shopkeepers and organisers and community leaders. And, you know, not to take one view on what's going on in Afghanistan, what you're seeing in the kind of in the current Western media um, that is very much portraying Afghans as, um, you know, people who are at fault for our own oppression, yeah. that we somehow, um, you know, abandoned ship. We have all this money that's being invested and, and we weren't, you know, good enough to sort of stand up against the Taliban. This is really harmful and very reductive as narrative. And I think right now, you know, there's a lot of blame being gone around, a lot of blame shifting onto the Afghans from everyone. Um, but right now, it's about the people. We have suffered throughout all of this. And that is the priority message that needs to come through. So please follow Afghan voices, follow Afghan journalists, follow Afghan community leaders, amplify our voices, centre our experiences. And from that, you'll see that we're sharing really reputable fundraisers. We're sharing um, actions to your MPs. We're sharing open letters and we're sharing our opinion pieces in the media, which is actually showcasing the diversity of experiences of Afghans. We're sharing what we actually want to see right now um, and making sure that, you know, if you guys are um, seeing political pundits or panels are being set up or events, that making sure that Afghans are included, Afghan voices are centred and that our narrative um, is always front of mind. Thank you so much, Deanna, for joining us today. And, um, yeah, we hope to speak to you soon and we're going to make sure to broadcast as much about what is happening in Afghanistan with Afghan voices. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you again. Thank you. No problem. And that was Diana Saeed, CEO of Australian Muslim Women's Centre for Human Rights. And that was Alice from Wednesday Breakfast. And thank you for bringing us that interview with Diana Syed. Diana ends that conversation on a really important note. It's really vital that Afghan voices are being prioritised and listened to. So please make sure that you follow Afghan journalists, artists, activists and other people for news about how we can best give our support. The Australian Muslim Women's Centre for Human Rights has a page dedicated to ways in which we can help. We'll put a link in the show notes to amwchr.org.au Afghanistan in order to find out how you can help support these women. All right. Well, next up, we are going to play a track by a Korean rap group from Sydney called 1300. Um, and this song is called No Color ID. You, you, you don't know my ID, not a gum sick at the touching. We still low key, you don't see me when I low key, no more like the touching. Banshee, my gangi, girl, you're no mask, you don't need a sochi. No, banshee, daddy, party, you're the mask, you did all your goey. So, shit, you're the boss, and now, and jog, yeah, nama, nama, nama. No, you know the gym, you don't want no, I'm a bono, the dama. Come <laughs> 
心骚的，心在心在跟鸟子吹 fresh 的 green， 不走心你叫我有谁的歌？哥哥我的弟，忘掉你，哦，照亮梦醒 ，emergency， 忘掉你，哦，天的关系，太痛爱你，忘掉你。One Three Hundred with No Cola ID, and I definitely encourage you to check out their clip for this video. It's very cool. So in May and June this year, when we weren't in lockdown,、um, the kids from Regio Three Four Regio at Collingwood College worked on interviews with inspiring people. In small groups, they visited Three CR to have a look at the station. They recorded interviews in a recording studio and produced their own podcasts. In this interview, we have Jolene, Haley, and Makeda interview Annalise. You're listening to Future Kids, and it's gonna be awesome. So stay tuned. And if you're wondering who Future Kids are, we are students from Three Four Regio from Collingwood College. And a big thanks to Three CR and the Yarra Council. I'm Jolene. I'm Makeda. And I'm Haley. Hi, Jolene, Makeda, and Haley.、Um, so the first question from Makeda was, "Where did I grow up?" So I grew up in Brisbane,、um, and I moved here 15 years ago. My cousin lives in Brisbane. It's a very nice place. My background is Italian, Greek, and British. What is your background?、Um, my background on my father's side is Latvian. So my great grandparents came here from Latvia、um, in about 19. 13 or 14 or great great grandparents,、um, and on my mum's side it's like British,、uh, Welsh, Irish, that kind of a vibe. Yeah, but my name is named after my father's side, which is、um, Latvian and Russian, basically. Okay. Do you play in any bands? I do play in bands. I play in two bands.、Um, The band that I've been in for a couple of years now,、uh, one of them is called Annalie and the Double Lovers, and that band is myself as the singer and、uh, five other people, all playing.、Um, we've got bass, drums, guitar,、um, 
uh, bass drums, guitar, piano, and sometimes a saxophone or a brass section because that band is very much um, focused on music from the 1950s and 60s, particularly in America, so like soul and R&B. And my other band is called Imperial Leather, and that's an all-female punk band, punk and garage band. And I'm playing with them on the weekend a couple of times, so that's really fun. What's it like in a rock band or band? It's really fun, particularly in Imperial Leather, because that's a group of uh, three of my best female friends. Um, So it's really nice to get together and do something with our time. Like we don't just chat, we make music and we're in a creative creative relationship together. So it's something that's very satisfying and enjoyable. And then when you get up on stage and you perform for your other friends or strangers, it's a really empowering and exciting thing to do. Um, And it's very cathartic. And by cathartic, I mean it, I don't know, it helps release some energy and um, connect you with other feelings in yourself that you find difficult to express. So it's brilliant. And I highly recommend it. Why did you think of doing podcasts? That's a good question. Um, when I was a, when I was a kid, I always uh, really enjoyed listening to radio. I really enjoy um, the opportunity that audio provides for listeners to connect with an idea or a person without the visual. I feel like it's a really intimate kind of close um, relationship that you can have, and you can share ideas that otherwise you wouldn't be in touch with. And podcasting, it's it's a relatively new format and there's been a real boom in, in ways and different kinds of shows that people can um, share. So if you're like really into what, what, what's your niche interest, you're saying you like rock music. So just then we were listening to the Fidget Kids. Um, thanks to Jolene, Haley, and Makita for bringing us that interview with Annalise. For more episodes of Fidget Kids, please go to 3cr.org.au slash Fidget Kids Collingwood College. Thanks so much for joining us on 3CR Breakfast today. We're so happy to have all of you listening to us. Um, Let's have a quick rundown of what we went through in the show today. Um, Yeah, so we started off with uh, revisiting an interview that we had on Tuesday Breakfast with Fiona from the Housing for the Age Action Group. Just a reminder that their online forum called At Risk takes place on Zoom this Friday, the 17th of September. And then we spoke with uh, Barrister and Footscray local Gemma Cafarella about the Western Suburbs community and what the Western Bulldogs um, being in the grand final means. Um, and then we talked to Alex from the Community Union Defence League about their community work um, across the state. And we also heard from um, Diana Said, who spoke to Alice from Wednesday Breakfast about uh, the Afghan diaspora following events um, in, in Afghanistan. And just then you heard from the Fidget Kids at Collingwood College who have been working on interviews with inspiring people. Thanks so much for listening to us today. Up next is Accent of Women. 3CR Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop, Melbourne's independent radical bookstore and venue, for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. And while you're there, check out Radical Coffee, a worker-run cooperative cafe in the courtyard. Keep up to date with upcoming events at nibs.org.au.